<laughs> hey, everybody. Um, I think I've got a fairly simple word to share today, but it's been so massive, and it's been what God has shown me how to keep him at the center. And um, I think that sometimes it's going to be really easy, and all you can see is Jesus, and um, it feel, you feel really close to him, and that flows, and that's amazing. And it's beautiful when it's like that. Um, but there's also going to be times in our lives when um, it's re- it can feel like really hard to see him and it, and it feels harder to focus on him and everything can become really big and confusing and all a bit complicated. And I really felt like he was saying, whenever it feels like that, that he's saying, just look at me. And, um, and to just come back to that real basic, that real simple thing of just looking at Jesus, just you and him, back to the, back to the basics of it. And I mean it in the most simplest way. Um, and I really think that it's actually a really beautiful place to be when it's like that, because we're remembering that he is God and that we need him. When we're all able to being, feel like in control of our own life, that's not where it's at, you know. Um, that doesn't mean we're winning if we're able to do things in our own strength. It's coming back to needing Him. Um, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Um, And I just really feel like it's like Peter on the water. Our job, his job was just to look at Jesus. And then Jesus' job was everything else. (laughs) And I think that's the same with us. If if all you can do is just look at Him, um, you're winning because He's the one who actually is in control of everything and able to change circumstances. He's the one who can bring salvation, healing, and all of this stuff um, that we can't do in our own strength. We were never called to do that role. Um, And I think that there's going to be plenty of things in our life that will feel really big and out of our control, and they are out of our control. And um, when we try and fix these things or take on the role that's not ours, it's super draining and stressful and you can feel really weighted down. And I don't know how many times Ruth has had to say to me, Shah, you are not the saviour of the world. And, and I honestly think that's, it's so powerful. It brings me back. Yes, like I need to hand this over. This is his, this is his role, you know. Um, and we're not called to be in control of everything or to fix people or fix ourselves we're told to love God and to love people. And um, to come back to that, you're, doing, you're already doing more than enough, you know. Um, we've got to remember that He is God and that He's in control. And, um, and I really feel like when we choose to look at Jesus, that all of the other stuff sort of falls away anyway. It's like... Um, with like the COVID situation, I started to feel at one stage quite overwhelmed and unsettled by everything. And then um, what happened is it got to the point where I said, wow, Jesus, this is, I don't even know what to think about all of this, but I know you and I trust you and I'm just going to keep looking at you. And I tell you what, COVID has ticked along the same. Me worrying about it or not didn't change the situation, but what it changed is me, my focus I then flipped that to the side, you know, that wasn't now at the centre, Jesus is at the centre, and I can function again as a mum and get on with living and loving and, you know, um, and not be caught up in this fear of everything. Um, And and it doesn't take your mind space. And I think um, a couple of things happen when we decide to put Jesus back at the centre and our focus off of those things. And um, one is we're way more rested. Um, I think... You know, we can find ourselves carrying so many heavy weights and sitting there, and, and he never asked you to carry any of them. 
And he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and tired of carrying these heavy loads and that I will give you rest. We go to him and then he gives us rest. And I just think it really is such a beautiful thing. Um, And I just, I think it's good to challenge ourselves. What weights are we carrying that he has never asked us to carry? Um, And the other thing too is that there's that overflow effect that you're then, when you sit with Jesus and just look at him, you're so humbled by his grace and his love and um, everything, his mercy towards you. It's powerful, it's moving. And when you go out, you can't hold that back from anyone. It just falls out of you. Um, You just love in turn. So um, I think that's another amazing thing that comes out of that. Um, And I think we can work so hard trying to do all this stuff on our own and trying to give Jesus what we think that he wants and the whole time forgetting that what he actually wants is you. And, um, and, you know, we've got to remember that his heart is for us, his children. He didn't, like that song was saying, he doesn't call perfection. You know, he wants, he wants us. Jesus is the one who gave us that anyway, that righteousness. Relationship is so important to him. And I think when I look back at stories in the Bible, he spent so much time hanging out with people, just chilling with them, listening to them. And that's funny because he's God. He already knew what they were going to say. But it mattered to him, you know. He loves them. He wants to laugh with them and be with them. And he showed me a picture of a, um, of a hammock. And if you just picture you and him, just for a moment, laying in this hammock, and it's a beautiful sunny day, and you're sitting outside, and you're laying, and your feet are kicked up together, and you've got like squinty eyes where you're cracking up laughing, and you're just laying with him and being with him and laughing and chatting, kind of about nothing, but just being together. I really feel like his heart is pining for that, like just to be close with us, for us to really know him. But also, like, if you don't have that and you've got pain and anger or um, big questions, you can take that to him too. And he is so amazing and he just wants to sit with you. He's a good friend. He's not just in there for the good stuff, you know, and he will just love you patiently, love you back into wellness. Um, mm. <laughs> he wants us to really know him. Um, Hosea 6.6 6 says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. He says, I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. You know, this is his heart for us. It's so powerful. Um, I just feel like come back to just you and him in the most simplest way. I like to remember back to that moment of salvation where I first came face to face with him. And it blows my mind. You know, how much does he love us? How hard did he fight just for you in that moment to know him? And to be with him, you know? And I think when we did that, there would have been fears and worries and troubles and you probably had a heap of questions. But it's kind of like in that moment, nothing mattered because all that you, you, were, you came face to face with him and you felt his grace and his um, forgiveness and his love towards you. And you realize that this is actually all that you will ever need and that he is all that you will ever need. And I think just coming back to that place where it's just you and him, And I think um, when we do that, come back to just you and him, everything else falls to the outskirts and he is then at the centre. And I think it's as simple as deciding, wake up every day and say, Morena Jesus, that's us today, me and you. No matter what happens, the hard stuff, the good stuff, the complicated stuff, I'm just going to keep looking at you and making that decision as the day goes by. And I know it's simple, but it's been massive for me. So I encourage you to try it. Wow. So good, Charlotte.
I just want to honour you, Charlotte, and Ruben Toto, your husband, because you've had to walk through some royal challenges this year, but you, God sees it, and he's just going to bless you for your faithfulness, you know? God never gives up on us. Yeah, he's so good. Well, I'm going to ask Reese Norman to come up. The amazing Norman family, so good. He's a great speaker. And he's my favorite son-in-law too. <laughs> it's my only one, so I can say that. <laughs> Thanks, Ruth. Um, so I have uh, titled my message, Jesus, Our Refuge and Strength. Uh, when you're in need of something quite substantial or even something that seems quite impossible, who do you go to? Well, I pray to my God. It says in Psalm um, 121, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains or the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Um, I'm just going to share a quick story about um, how God um, helped a person, another person, not myself. Um, is that all right if I just share a quick story? Um, I don't know if you guys have uh, watched the movie Hacksaw Ridge before. But um, I feel this story shows that we are, um, we are all capable of anything, the impossible, with a little help of, um, from the Lord. So um, the story is about a Seventh-day Adventist going into the heat of battle and um, being awarded the Medal of Honor without um, injuring or even shooting a single person. So on April the 1st, 1942, Desmond Doss joined the United States Army. Little did he know that three and a half years later, he would be standing on the White House lawn receiving the nation's highest award for his bravery and courage under fire. Of the 16 million men in uniform during World War II, only 431 received the Congressional Medal of Honor. One of these was placed around the neck of a young Seventh-day Adventist who during battle had not killed a single enemy soldier. In fact, he refused to carry a gun. He, his only weapons were his Bible and his faith in God. Um, President Harry S. Truman warmly shook the hand of Corporal Desmond Thomas Doss, and he said to him, you really deserve this medal. I consider this a greater honor than being president. The journey that had brought young Desmond to, to this day had been a challenging one, when Pearl Harbor was attacked, he was working at the news, uh, Newport News Naval Shipyard and could have, requested to, uh, could have requested a deferment. But he wanted to do more for his country. He was willing to risk his life on the front lines in order to preserve freedom. When he joined the army, Desmond assumed that his classification as a conscientious objector would not require him to carry a weapon. He wanted to be an army comet a combat medic. As luck would have it, he was assigned to an infantry rifle company. His refusal to carry a gun caused a lot of trouble among his fellow soldiers. They scorned him and they just... Oh, they... Sorry. They viewed him with disdain and called him a misfit. His commanding officers also wanted to get rid of the skinny Virginian who spoke with a gentle southern drawl. They saw him... As a liability, nobody believed a soldier without a weapon was worthwhile. Um, they even tried to court-martial him for not 
obeying orders. But they failed to find a way to toss him out and he refused to leave. He believed his duty was to obey God and serve his country, but it had to be in that order. Sorry. I've lost where I was. His fellow soldiers saw this Bible reading Puritan as being totally out of sync with the rest of the army. So they ostracized him, ostracized him, bullied him, called him in awful names and cursed at him. His commanding officers also made his life difficult. Things began turning around when the men discovered that this quiet, unassuming medic had a way to heal blisters on their march-wearing feet. And if someone fainted from the heat stroke, this medic was at his side giving his own canteen. He, he treated those who had mistreated him. He lived the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Matthew 7.12 He repeatedly ran into the heat of battle to treat a fallen comrade and carry him back to safety. All this while enemy bullets whizzed past and mortar shells exploded around him. Several times while treating a wounded soldier, Desmond got so close to the front line he could hear whispering of Japanese voices. Then in Desmond's division... Uh, we're de- the men in Desmond's division were repeatedly trying to capture an imposing, imposing rock face called Hacksaw Ridge. After the company had secured the top of the cliff, all the Americans were stunned when suddenly the enemy forces rushed them in a vicious counterattack. Officers ordered immediate retreat. Soldiers rushed to climb back to the steep cliff, all the soldiers except one. Less than one third of all the men made it back down. The rest lay wounded, scattered across the enemy soil, abandoned and left for dead if they weren't already. One lone soldier disobeyed orders and changed back into the firefight to rescue as many of his men as he could before he either collapsed or died trying. His iron determination and unflagging courage resulted in at least 75 lives saved that day. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but there's one scene... There's one scene where he's pulling the men back and he's praying to his God and he's saying, just one more, Lord. Just one more. He was in this impossible situation where he could have just given up himself and ran back. But he was determined to save as many lives as he want, as he could. And with God's help, he did at least 75 times. Psalm 46 says... Um, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He knew that his God would never leave him nor forsake him. His faith in the Lord was unwavering. He knew that he knew the Lord was going to help him with the impossible. He was lifting his eyes up to the mountain and knowing that the Lord would help him even if it was only one more time. And he did it at least 75 times. That is the Lord at work. When you find yourself in impossible circumstances, remember to lift your eyes up to the mountains and know that God is for you and performs miracles. Even in an impossible situation, God is at the center and you can trust him to help you and do the impossible. So, thank you. Wow, love that, Reese. Just one more. Wow, is that the heart of the Lord? He goes after the one. One more. Are you going to go after the one more? And win them, beloved. Not arguing, 
Paul will tell you that. He never listens to me and I keep arguing. He still doesn't listen. I never win him. So I go to the Lord. And then Paul says, so Ruth, I've been thinking. And I just think, yes. Works a lot better than arguing with him now. Wow, it's awesome. Love it. It's interesting, though, what um, Reese was sharing about that man who didn't want to take a rifle into battle and then he was put in the rifle squadron because my grandfather was in the wartime, was also a conscientious objector. He didn't want to go and kill people. So he said, but I'll still help my country because we're about helping our nation, eh? But helping out here at the moment, too. They need help. Need lots of help. And so I said, you find me a job. And honestly, if you knew my grandfather, he, he would faint at the sight of blood. And guess what job they gave him? Army medic. But with Jesus at the center, he got through it. You can do all things through Christ. You cannot pass out if you hate blood. No, nah, he just said, well, Lord, if that's where you want me, I'm going to do it. And he did it. It's funny, I just still laugh about that now. It makes me laugh, eh? God has got a sense of humor sometimes. Maybe he wants to show that the weak areas of your life, you can still be strong and with him at the center, eh? Whatever is the, the, the area that's your weak area, God says, I've got it. It's cool. So I'm going to ask Sophia Bilby. Wow, so cool. Thank you, Sophia. My goodness. Whew. We're hearing so much, aren't we? Yeah. I just, um, I, I hear we talk about Jesus at the centre. And to me, the centre is not a place. To me, the centre is a position. Yeah. It's a position that we give to someone else. If Jesus is at the centre, you know, we're talking about Jesus in the centre of our lives. And I, I think... Um, Turn your eye, looking fully into Jesus' face is what um, Charlotte had shared and, and the beautiful story that Reese had shared. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to just share some of my story. <laughs> Do you know, I spent half of my life just with Jesus on the outside. Yeah. He was out there. I knew about him. I even believed that he was God. I knew. But the, he was so distant. He was out there. And then through some circumstances, on the 1st of July of 1985, I was with Christians and they prayed the sinner's prayer with me. And as I prayed the sinner's prayer with them, one of the gentlemen there gave me a verse from the Bible to read when I got home. I had an old Bible at home, I just didn't read it. But the verse said this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. The first verse I ever read from the Bible, and I knew exactly what God was saying to me. It was the most amazing thing. There was something in me that had to change. At our life group this week, at our Bible study group, Ian said this, People know Jesus as Saviour, but they do not go further to know Jesus as Lord. I've been thinking about that. A lot of people know Jesus as their personal Saviour. Jesus says, if you believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you are saved. You know, there, so you, if you... 
for all of those, Jesus, God loved the world that he, if you believe in him, you will inherit eternal life. Yes, yes. But you know, God is so much more. There is so much more. When I was just a young Christian, I got baptised about six weeks after because I really wanted to follow Jesus. And I read this in the Bible. Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And not that much later, three, four, five chapters later, in Matthew 16, Jesus said this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Very early in my Christian walk, I knew that there was a cost to following Jesus. There was a cost involved. Was Jesus going to do everything I wanted him to do? No, it was the other way around. I had to give him a position in my life. But I I knew Jesus, he was my saviour. How can that happen? In Romans 12 verse 2, it says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, our mind is a very powerful thing. My mind. My mind is telling me all sorts of stuff. My mind is trying to get me to do all sorts of stuff. But somehow, my mind needed to be renewed. What with? With the Word of God. I needed a new way of thinking to what I had been raised up with. I was very selfish and very self-centered. It was all about me and what I wanted to do. But now, Jesus is my Savior. I needed to learn to think like He did. I needed to capture every thought and bring it into submission to what he says. And this is called growth. So once Jesus was on the outside, now he was on the inside, but he still was not at the centre. I had not yet been able to. He was there, I know. And I used to go and I used to come and I could feel myself changing. But there was a lot of change that was happening in my life, but he still wasn't at the centre. I needed a whole new way of thinking. You know, our mind, what did I write here? I read this the other day. I had learned to agree with the word of God. What my mind is telling me what I should do or think. Or am I telling myself what the word of God says I should think and do? To read the word is not enough. This is what Jesus said. You know, he said... um, Give him the first place in your love, in your life, and live as he wants you to. Oh, there was another verse I was looking for, and I haven't got it. Um, but all of this is a process. This week we, we were away in the motorhome, and I read Tuhoi um, Isaac's book, his story, and I thought, my goodness, you know, he needed a whole new way of thinking. God had to get. It wasn't. It's just not enough to have Jesus as savior. He needed to learn more, and there was an authority attached to it. And as he learnt more, and he shared, he got to know more about God, and he surrendered more to God, and he submitted to the Word of God, and he did what the Word of God did. And I found, hey, his story is no different to mine. My story is no different to yours. Are we prepared to submit to the Word of God? Are we prepared to listen to what God is saying? Are we prepared to do what He's asking us to do? Or do we just go about and live our life as we think and then come and and have Jesus 
sort of in, the, in your life, but not quite. See, what I'm really talking about here is called lordship. It is lordship. There was, you know, you, you grow and you grow and you grow in the things of God. And eventually, you get so full. I read this statement. It says, when a tree is so full of sap that it can no longer hold it, the fruit results. When you are so full of Jesus, so full of the things of God, do you know the fruit of the Holy Spirit manifest? You have changed. You become a world shaker. You begin to show the love of Jesus. We can't do it of our own. We have the Holy Spirit within us who empowers us to do that. But if we're not full of Jesus, you know, it's, I, I'm quite challenged by it because there's this, this particular thing led me to John 15, 5. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing that is meaningful. For Jesus to be the Lord of your life, that means he is. We were singing it. He is my king. He is my ruler. In other words, in simple words, he is my boss. Jesus at the center of my life. He is my Lord and he is my master. I am living for him. My life is not my own. I was purchased at a price. So how can Jesus be our Lord? Here, four quick things. By yielding your life to him, yielding. This involves letting Jesus be at the very center of every part of your being. Take your hands off the controls of everything and allow him to be in control. It is absolute and total surrender. We must die to ourselves. Not easy to do, but when we do, you know, there's something of Jesus comes through. Then, I read this, if he, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. If he's not Lord, you know, this is a process and this takes time. And I look up the second half of my life, how much God has changed me, how much, you know, last year I sat down, I thought, Lord, I haven't worried about anything for so long. Maybe I should worry about something, you know, and I thought, I don't. God, let something happen so I can cry because I don't know if I can, I don't remember how to cry. You know, it's just what has happened to me. You know, when I first came into the kingdom, I cried all the time. But it was just God had changed me. The second thing about knowing Jesus as your Lord, acknowledge his ownership. In 1 Corinthians, I read that out to you. We are not our own. We have been bought at a price. Everything I am belongs to him. Everything I have belongs to him. I can't do anything without him. I can say things on my own. It makes no difference. But, you know, everything, my giftings belong to him. He's the one who adds to it. So we need to yield our lives, submit to Jesus. We need to acknowledge his ownership over our lives. Total, unreserved obedience, the third thing. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus raised the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I ask you to? Jesus is Lord. Are you listening to him? Are you doing what God wants you to do? It's interesting because it's a battlefield in the mind, isn't it? <laughs> it's a total constant battle. I'm in the same battle as everybody else. You know, we, we win it and we fight it day by day. The fourth thing about knowing Jesus as your Lord involves 
the will, willing to serve, willing to serve. There must be a time in your life when you, like the prophet Isaiah, are willing to say, here I am, Lord, send me. The Christian life is a wonderful life. Jesus made every provision for you and me to live in fullness and in absolute abundance. But there is a cost. Such life does not come cheaply or easily. It requires that we die to ourselves, surrender ourselves. We've just been singing it, and I wrote it in my notes. There can be no rivals to the throne of our lives. It is occupied by Jesus Christ alone. There are no rivals, no rivals. My life and the very center, the very core, the position of authority over my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given me his Holy Spirit to to empower me to live like he wants me to. And the fullness of God, I can say with all my heart, he is my Savior and my Lord. He is my Savior and my Lord. Why don't you all stand and I just want to pray. Thank you, Lord.